yourself guest hello i'm the guest kelly cat sister hi we have cat sister so my um technically what would she be your like, sister your sister in -law slash in-law yeah. <laughs> slash child because you're my mom sometimes okay, um, this family gets complicated ladies and gentlemen yeah but ours is like weird complicated like we're trying for ptolemy <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know if she has contacts for Ptolemy. Do you have contacts for Ptolemy? The Ptolemy dynasty? Did you listen to Cleopatra? Cleopatra? Not yet. She married her brother. And... The Ptolemy's oh, married brother to sister. Um, she married two of her brothers, technically. Yeah. Yeah. And um, all the Ptolemies kill each other, too. Yeah. So, like, that was a common yeah. thing. Yeah, it's called foreshadowing, Kelly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, there will be lots of deaths. So we um we are recording this on Halloween. Yeah, so it's a special spooky episode. Spooky Halloween. Um, it will obviously air a couple of weeks after. but yeah. well, whatever. Also known as South Wind. Because we can never Sam get it right. South Wind. <laughs> Don't say Sam Hain. <laughs> Leave some food out for your ancestors outside yeah. your doors. These little so presents. Pass along. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where that came from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of fun Irish traditions, were we speaking of that? I don't know, but we are going to now. We're going to now. <laughs> so I'm a nerd and I sent something to Rachel and I was like, I want to read this on the podcast because it was really fun. So according to Irish folklore, a man called Stingy Jack was sentenced to roam the earth for eternity by the devil. A ghostly figure of the night, Jack walks with a burning coal inside of a carved out turnip to light his way. Irish folklore began to refer to this spooky figure as Jack of the Lantern, which then became Jack-o'-lantern. We all know that Halloween started with the Irish festival of Samhain, or All Hallows' Eve, which then became known as Halloween. This was a time of the year when the veil between this world and the next was at its weakest and spirits were on the earth. This legend is why people in Ireland began to make their own versions of Jack's Lantern by carving grotesque figures into turnips, potatoes, and beets, placing them by their homes to frighten away Stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits and travelers. Irish migrants in the 19th century brought this legend across the Atlantic, where they discovered that pumpkins were easier to carve than turnips, also a lot less scary. <laughs> that was my addition, guys. So it's an Irish character named Stingy Jack that we owe the origins of the modern jack-o'-lanterns. That's cool. That's pretty fun. It reminds me a little bit too of the Headless Horseman because you said he would like yeah. carry around a turnip with like a light in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I saved the picture because it was so goddamn creepy. <laughs> um, you can find it and we can post it. Look, I just found it. Oh. oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, what is that? It's terrifying. It's a turnip. That's carved. I really don't and like know. it looks like it's like it's like real life. Like they made the eyes look real. There's like teeth in there. Let's not share that. I'm gonna share it. I wanna share. I wanna freak people out because I had to see that. Apologies to everyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like the people who do listen to oh, they'll love that it. reason. Yeah. So. They'll love it. <laughs> but yeah, that's a little little uh Halloween slash Samhain background for you. Cool. Fun and exciting. It's a little Halloween history lesson from yeah. a difficult damsels. We never said the name of Oh yeah, guys, we're difficult damsels. I'm Kat. 
I'm Rachel. That's Rachel. You guys just got introduced to Kelly. (laughs) And this is a podcast about some pretty badass women from history. I was like, did you forget the one we're talking about? (laughs) Well, I was was thinking about what we're talking about today. And I was like, they're not always great women. Yeah, they're not. No, I mean. (laughs) But they are. I mean, a lot of them just make weird choices. Yeah. Well, a lot but... of the, the a lot of the women we cover too, like the choices they make are out of revenge for like older. Yeah, killed like you know an entire well, yeah, clan like, of people. Don't kill her husband and then offer yeah. to marry her. Like, yeah, don't do that. She will send flaming oh, sparrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking flaming sparrows. All right, so <laughs> still bad. This is uh because this is Halloween. I am gifting you, I guess, <laughs> with a. Uh, it's a double whammy. We're going to talk about two women today. Yes. The only hint I will give you is it involves poison. Yes! I love it. All right. So a little bit of historical context for this time period. Uh, this takes place during the 17th century, so 1600s. Uh, thanks for clarifying, because I would have been like, what? <laughs> so in 1614, Elizabeth Bathory, the famed blood countess of Hungary, dies. Jimmy. All bricked up in her castle. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That was our first episode. <laughs> that was our very first episode. Bringing it around, guys. Bringing it around. <laughs> in 1620, the Mayflower sets out from Plymouth, England, for the region of New England in North America. In 1626, St. Peter's Basilica is completed in Vatican City. Yes. In 1632, work for the Taj Mahal is started in Agra, India. Huh. In 1633, Galileo arrives for his trial before the Inquisition in Rome in defense of Copernican heliocentrism, which is the theory that the Earth revolves around the sun. <laughs> he won that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> in 1642, this marks the beginning of the English Civil War. At the end of this conflict, King Charles I of England is executed and the monarchy is abolished with Parliament established as having authority over the king. Um, and then kind of at the end of all of this with some more like wars and shit. Some um, more shit <laughs> stuff. Things. That's my history lesson right there. <laughs> the British constitutional monarchy is then established. Huh. Okay. In 1665, Robert Hoke, 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 whatever, discovers cells using a microscope. Oh, that's cool. In the 1660s. Your Louis toes are about to be attacked. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Not by me, guys. Hold on. <laughs> In the 1660s. Louis XIV, known as the Sun King of France and Europe's longest reigning monarch, begins construction of the Palace of Versailles. Ooh. And then just a little general for this time period, it marks an increase in interest in technological, philosophical, and scientific advancement. Cool. And there are also wars going on literally everywhere. Yeah, literally everywhere. Everyone's fighting everyone, and that's great. I just want to point out, Humans. guys, that Finnan is like super handsome today. He is in the Halloween spirit with his little Dracula cape. <laughs> we'll definitely, we'll definitely post a picture today, and then you guys will have already seen it by the time you listen to the episode. <laughs> like, no, I know you. you won't no, I know you. You will. You will not release me. <laughs> All right. So the first woman we are talking about is Julia Tofana. Tell them how to spell it, Rachel. <laughs> She's Italian, so Julia is spelled G-I-U-L-I-A. You spelled it wrong in the email. It was the other way. I'm less confused now. You know what? It might be. <laughs> Maybe it's U-I. Whatever. Her name is Julia. Her name is Julia. It doesn't matter. 
So she is one of the most prolific female serial killers of all time, giving perhaps even Elizabeth Bathory a run for her money. Um, but their tactics were very different. So she is perhaps one of the deadliest poisoners to ever exist, operating in Rome from 1633 to 1651 and killing as many as 600 men by her own confession. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad. I'm just kidding. For the literally, record, I'm totally mad. I'm literally just going to say I'm not even mad. Um, and I don't think you will be mad by the end of it. Oh, okay. There, there was a reason. So, at this point of time in, in Italy, women had next to zero rights. Um, isn't it kind of nice that in nearly 1700 years, Rome has changed very little? <laughs> so women had very few avenues of advancement in life. The majority of women had to rely on finding an opportunistic marriage to find any sort of standing in life. Women that came from poorer backgrounds were often at the mercy of their families, arranging marriages to men they might not have even met before the wedding ceremony. At like five years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably at like 14 or 15 in this time period, but still. Still. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 31 and still unmarried happily. <laughs> we We're all. Yeah. Old we are. <laughs> We've decided. Well, you and I are going to get married in what? What is it? Eight years now? I think I promised to several people. You promised yourself to me first, bitch. So fight <laughs> me. I will gladiator battle it out with whoever wants to. I'm like, bring back the jewel. We're doing it. Yeah. I will duel for you. Do you hear that? I'm Rachel? I'm trying to sing Hamilton right now. Oh, God. <laughs> you can, there it is. It's happening. It's there. Now, as a woman of this time, you did not know the sort of husband you would be getting outside of the monetary status that he would provide. That's weird. You did not know if he was kind or cruel, and many of these unions involved very cruel men. A woman pretty much had to hope and pray that her situation wasn't abusive. A good union might have simply involved a man that was ambivalent towards his wife. Everyone wonders why she had 600 victims. <laughs> it's not that much of a question mark, guys. Finnick, can you not break things? <laughs> They treated their property better than their women. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like it's disgusting. Yeah. Animals had rights before women did. Let's yeah. just think about that for a minute, guys. Finnin is very upset by this. Finnin, stop. Now the- <laughs> Finnin, stop. He's upset. Stop. <laughs> now the other avenue a woman might have if she did not wish to marry would have been sex work, and that came with its own slew of dangers and degrations. Women that did get married had zero rights and zero standing in society. This meant that the worst of men could indulge in any number of abuses with their wives without any fear of legal repercussions as women were denied legal rights as well. And as you guys already mentioned, they were essentially property. <laughs> Divorce was also not an option, as Catholicism was the predominant religion of the time in Italy and forbade, di and forbade divorce under most circumstances. Catholicism bullshit strikes again. <laughs> I can say that, guys. I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> I feel like you're going to say that a lot in this episode. Probably. <laughs> The one avenue a woman might be able to earn standing in society and economic independence was through widowhood. If you were lucky, you were married to a man that was old without an heir and just had to wait his death out. Let's just let that sink in for a second. Those who were not so lucky had no recourse. 
That is until Julia Tofana came around. Oh, hell yeah. Is she like a witch of the woods type thing? Mm, well, this is Italy. There's woods in Italy. <laughs> Think more Assassin's The witch Creed. of the suburbs? Ooh, I like yeah. this. Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The witch of the suburbs. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> so we have very little information about Julia's upbringing, but we know that she was born sometime in 1620 in the city of Palermo, Italy. Palermo is the capital of the region of Sicily in southern Italy. You don't have a map for me. I don't know where it is now. No, I don't have a map. No, I know where that is. (laughs) It's southern Italy. What do you want from me? (laughs) A fucking map, Dora. (laughs) Now, we don't know with absolute certainty who her parents were, but the prevailing rumor is that she was the daughter of Tolfania Diamo. Tolfania had been infamous in her own time for having killed her own husband. People speculate that the recipe for Julia's most well-known poisonous recipe was passed down to her by her mother, or at least some form of it. If Tofania was indeed her mother, Julia would have been approximately 13 years old at the time of her father's death. You're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Julia was said to be exceptionally beautiful, as her mother had evidently been before her, making it easy for her to slip under the radar of authorities, because beautiful women could not possibly be killers. That's cute. <laughs> We're told... What are you trying to say about ugly women? That all we have is killing? Because that's rude. <laughs> well, why, do you, why do you think the witch stereotype is always an old hag? That's fair. Because the crone? I'm just saying. Because <laughs> it's not white. Now we're told that in the beginning, Julia spent her time in various apothecary shops studying how these alchemists made their various concoctions. Yes, she did her research. She's Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> She's a Virgo. Don't piss her off, okay? In I'm time, really her not to. <laughs> in time, she used that knowledge to create her own poisonous formulas, and the deadliest among them was the Aqua Tofana poison. And I will go into detail on what that entailed Ooh, a little later. I'm excited. I'm gonna write some notes. Hold on, guys. I gotta get my notepad. Now, similar to Elizabeth Bathory, Julia ran a rather complex operation and employed several associates to assist her in the creation and distribution of her poisons. One of her assistants had been her daughter, Girolama Spera. I hope I said that right. God bless you. I took Italian for two years and sometimes I still struggle. Sounds good to me. Sounds (laughs) fine, right? (laughs) It has also been suggested that a priest may have aided her in her endeavors as well and provided Julia with the arsenic for her poisons. Why does that make me so happy <laughs> that a priest helped her? Well, there's going to be a lot of that in this. <laughs> now, Julia's target clientele was women, specifically married women that were unhappy with their marriages. Although she helped women that were trapped in loveless marriages that Which they found suffocating... <laughs> Julia was especially sympathetic towards women who claimed they were trapped in abusive marriages. In time, Julia moved her business from Sicily to Naples and then finally to Rome, where she created an underground black market sort of operation that involved crafting various cosmetics for women. Yes. This involved everything from powders used to enhance female beauty, like blush or concealer, to liquids used as healing oils. She even disguised her poisons in perfume. Aquatofana and similar poisons had been sold as facial creams said to obscure blemishes and help a woman retain her youth. It was the perfect sort of business that men would overlook and ignore. 
The cosmetics she sold could easily be placed on a woman's vanity among her other cosmetics, and her husband would be none the wiser as to its deadly components. I just imagine, here, babe, smell my perfume. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more complicated than that, which we'll get into. All yeah. right. All right. <laughs> Like every budding business venture, it's been suggested that her rise started when she befriended a woman that had been in a troublesome marriage. After selling her the poison, word seemed to spread by word of mouth among friends, and soon Julia was receiving referrals left and right from various patrons. Um, fantastic, but also very sad, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that there was a need, quote-unquote, yeah, for this need kind for of business. Yeah, a need for a poisoner. <laughs> Julia did not just distribute her poisons willy-nilly either. She took the time to coach each of her clients on how to properly deliver the poisons, which often involved multiple doses that were diluted in various liquids so that the poison worked slowly through the victim's system over several days or weeks. Oh my god. Hell yeah. Strategy. Like I'm so, poison. I'm like mm-hmm. awkwardly excited to hear how she got caught. Like, I hate that she I think got you're going to get so upset. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Now, Julia also coached her clients on how to act following their husband's deaths, making sure they were comfortable in exhibiting the necessary emotion to elicit sympathy and bypass suspicion. Women were also instructed to request a coroner's exam after their husbands died to help again. Oh, okay. Take the suspicion off them. Yeah. Because of the nature of her poisons, the results of the coroner's report usually just suggested that the men had died from an unknown disease or illness. It's called being a fucked heart. Okay. <laughs> so what exactly did her poisons consist of? Sometimes called the Widowmaker poison, Julia's most famous poison was Aquatofana, and it literally means Julia's water. Yeah. I believe if you look at your pictures, I included a picture. Is that the bottle yes. that I see right here? Mm-hmm. I want it. <laughs> now, um, you already guessed one of the ingredients. They included arsenic lead, and possibly belladonna. Now, the reason belladonna is suspected is because it was already being used in, as an ingredient in most cosmetics. So if it I'm came, sorry, one more time? Like, on purpose? Yes. Oh. <laughs> so if it came up in a toxicology report, nobody would have batted an eye. Oh. Because okay. it was already used in cosmetics. That's true. Well, like, don't don't lick your blush, okay? <laughs> Just put it on your face. Oh, my God. And then take it. I need to relearn everything. <laughs> Good thing I don't wear makeup, guys. <laughs> now, despite the fact that we know what ingredients the poison contained, people still aren't entirely sure what the measurements for each ingredient were or how they were blended together to create the poison. Aquatofana was an insidious concoction. It was a clear liquid without any taste, and it was slow-acting, often delivered in multiple doses. The onset of the poison appeared like the onset of simple cold-like symptoms, usually a cough, a scratchy throat, and fatigue. By the third dose, the victim would appear very ill, and the symptoms would include vomiting, diarrhea, and dehydration. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) The fourth dose would kill the victim. Now, because the poison was slow-acting, victims believed they had just fallen ill with a normal disease. It gave them the opportunity to prepare for death and make economic preparations for those that were left behind. This included updating their wills. And the women were often involved in that process to make sure. She's like, hey, babe, give me everything. Yes. I will make sure that I divvy it up later. I promise. (laughs) Totally fine. Are you feeling better? Do you want more perfume? (laughs) Would you like more soup? That's usually. No, I like the perfume. Or tea. (laughs) Rachel, don't ever take tea from me ever again. (laughs) 
Now, the effects of aquatofana poison are often compared to that of arsenic poisoning as well. Just so you know. Jasmine maybe it's not us. arsenic. Maybe it's aquatofana. That's fine. <laughs> Either way, you're dead. <laughs> to evade notice from the authorities, the poison moonlighted as Mana di San Nicola, or Mana of St. Nicholas of Bari. And it was sold in cosmetics and devotional objects in the form of vials that women could wear around their necks with a picture of St. Nicholas on the front. Um, hi, Jesse. Hi. <laughs> I also saw there was a, a nail polish. Um, it was a line called Aqua Tofana, so that's out there too. Like a current? Yeah. Okay, I was like, nail polish exists Like, I mean, don't eat it, but. Okay. <laughs> Nobody told me I wasn't supposed to eat nail polish. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I don't actually eat now julia had been very careful with her enterprise she did not sell her product to women she did not know personally and those she didn't know were vetted very carefully by previous clients it's entirely likely that julia tofana might have never been caught or discovered had it not been for a customer that ended up snitching on her to the vatican authorities this goddamn bitch. <laughs> sorry so according to the story the woman had bought aqua, aqua tofana for her own husband and went so far as to dose his soup but she panicked at the last minute and told him not to eat it and of course he got you suspicious. just literally outed yourself <laughs> Yeah, so Jesus. he he's understandably suspicious, and he ends up forcing the woman to go to the authorities about Julia. Ugh. Even then, when rumor got out that Julia's operation had been discovered and a warrant was out for her arrest, the townspeople of Rome protected her and hid her due to her popularity. Yes, they're like, no, this is the one person who can help us. Fuck you all. Fucking <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> She was warned ahead of time that the police were on their way to apprehend her and was even granted sanctuary in a nearby church. Yes! <laughs> it was only after a rumor spread across Rome that Julia had poisoned the water supply that authorities That's were finally forced, or finally able to force their way into the church and apprehend Julia. She didn't actually poison the well, water. Well, no, I know. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. Spread that rumor. No, 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 it was the Vatican that did that, honey. <laughs> Following the Vatican doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't operate on truth. Calm down. <laughs> Following her capture by Vatican authorities, we're told Julia underwent a grueling round of torture, and this is when she confessed okay. to killing approximately 600 men in Rome alone. Honestly, after yesterday, I've decided I cannot withstand torture. Cat <laughs> <laughs> got her entire thigh tattooed. Four hours later, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> um, so the number is often speculated upon by people similar to the way that people speculate about Elizabeth Bathory's numbers. Um, because again, they were obtained from her during extreme duress. Yeah. So you can't really rely on but, that. Plus it could be salacious and upped a little bit, but well, I maybe like she did. No, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I killed 600 of you. Fuck off. <laughs> now, while under torture, Julia revealed the names of her daughter and three assistants. No. And they too end up getting arrested. In July of 1659, Julia, her daughter, and the three named associate, associates were all executed in Camo de Fiori in Rome. Once Julia's patrons had been identified, they too were all imprisoned. What? And in a fashion that always favors the wealthy and puts the poor mm -hmm. at a disadvantage, 
Her poorer patrons were executed, while the wealthier patrons were either imprisoned or simply exiled from Italy. Exiled from Italy. They're like, great! I don't have to marry another one of you fuckers? Awesome! Where's the horse? <laughs> After she died, her body was tossed over the wall of the church that had offered her sanctuary. What? Really? Julia had been 39 years old. <gasps> Damn. Yeah. I just got chills because that's like eight years away for me. <laughs> Sorry. That's like four for me. <laughs> <laughs> and because you're old. Do you know you two are the same age? 33? I'm 35. Okay. You're an old cat. <laughs> <laughs> no. I forgot we did figure that out. And I was surprised. <laughs> it's fine. Cat just can't mess. <laughs> um, I'm, over, I'm like vocal about the fact that I can't mess. It's okay. I can't mess. <laughs> now, Julia Tofana may have died, but her legacy lived on. For one, men in Italy continued to live in fear that the Aqua Tofana <laughs> might one day strike again and take them from the world. Yeah, so get your shit together and stop being miserable humans. Yeah. Here it is. The fact that you need poison, it's not that. should be problematic. Now, Julia's influence and power would go on to inspire scandal in France, known as the Affair of the Poisons. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> it all started when a French noblewoman confessed to murdering her father with poison so that she and her lover could inherit his estate. Yes. Word I mean, eventually. Not yes, but yes. Well, no, yes. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, for legal reasons. Oh, no, but everything else, yes. <laughs> in her, in that woman's uh, writings mm -hmm. and journal, it was discovered that she likely lost her virginity before the age of 10 and she was being abused by family members. Ew. So, yes. I'm going to change my answer, yes. Yeah. 100% yes. This, the, uh, <laughs> when you look into the affair of the poisons, which, uh, this spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> oh, I was like, is this coming up? Or? <laughs> um, we're not going to go into great detail, but the oh, next okay. person is kind of involved. More than kind of. Hey, um, yes! <laughs> but yeah, when you when you look into these stories, you often just hear these women did this, but you don't get the context. And No, of course yeah. not. No, because the women are awful when they do that, and they're witches and evil, and nobody looks at the men who abuse them, because why I would we do that? For me. Make the patriarchy, just say that, it's the same. <laughs> Either way. Anyway, <laughs> word eventually reached the ears of the French court, and Louis XIV became concerned that he and other members of his court might become targets of conspirators. Maybe don't be an asshole when you're on a target, I'm just saying. And it turns out that he was correct to be <laughs> concerned, because it would later be revealed that from 1677 to 1682, several prominent members of the aristocracy were involved in the scandal, leading to several charges of both poisoning and witchcraft. And so... The mantle of Julia Tofana's legacy is thus taken up by a woman named La Poison. Oh, La Poison. <laughs> so we were looking at pictures of Julia, and she is quite gorgeous. But... She's gorgeous, and we were just talking about how we wanted to have a beer with her, but it would be a, a BYOB. Yeah. Bring your own beer for reasons. Not that we don't trust you, no, Julia. No, not at but... all that we don't trust you, Poisoner, but... but... Yeah. Um... <laughs> We are very much women. We're very we're safe as long as we don't snitch. Yeah, bitches. Get ditches, bitches. So sorry, I'll oh leave. <laughs> don't leave. Um, I got a I got a second story. We for got you. one more. It's two for guys. You're lucky. So I'm gonna set the scene for you. She always sets a scene that makes me happy. <laughs> we are smack dab in the middle of the reign of Louis the Fourteenth of France known as Le Roi Soleil, a.k.a. the Sun King, as he claimed to, 
to descend from Apollo. Everyone and their mothers descends from Apollo. Apollo was the Greek god of the sun, along with light, truth, music, poetry, and healing. Also the twin of Artemis. And right? similar <laughs> to the god of the sun. I can't remember if he's the twin of Artemis. I think Artemis and Apollo are twins. I think you're right. There's another god. It's possible. There's another god we're going to reference in this. Oh, hell yeah. I like this. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of you for me. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) So similar to the god of the sun, or the sun god, Louis was a huge patron of the arts, and nothing exemplified that more than his transformation of his father's hunting lodge in the city of Versailles into the palace of Versailles. Oh, is that this beautiful picture that I now we need to go to France? Had you never heard of Versailles? No, I've heard of Versailles, but I've never like never seen the pictures. No. So listener, um go Google Versailles right now. We'll yeah, it's some pictures, fucking beautiful. These chandeliers alone and then the windows. It's all and made the of domes? it's all made of gold and bronze. Okay, that's a bit aggressive. It is. So that makes me mad, but <laughs> I mean the opulence is it's, to be expected. <laughs> it's supposed to make you mad. So here's the thing. The it's palace, supposed to make you mad. The Palace of Versailles is a true example of extreme opulence. Louis wanted to create the most extravagant place on earth to be worthy of Earth's most extravagant king. Nothing, he wanted to be poisoned? <laughs> nothing exemplified this better than the Gallery de Glasses, which is the Hall of Mirrors, mm. um, which is a hall in Versailles made almost entirely of gold, bronze, and glass. The Hall of Mirrors also overlooks the palace gardens, which Ooh. were equally extravagant and perfectly manicured. Rachel, I want a house like this. I do too. I want a house like this that overlooks the garden. But on the ocean. Have <laughs> you been like sand everywhere? It's a mess. I like the sand. The sand you can clean. I'm not doing it. It'll be outside. The sand gets inside. Then wash your feet. No. <laughs> now. In order to pay for the construction of Versailles, Louis forced his nobles to move there with him. This was a time when many of the nobles were drained financially of their incomes for the construction of Versailles, and it wasn't uncommon for family members of nobles to complain that he risked driving them to destitution due to how much money he demanded. Yeah, are you trying to make enemies or like it just happened? (laughs) Well, on top of that, you have to also think people in Paris are starving. That's true. Yeah. So that oh, is... That makes me so much more mad. Well, matter more there's mad? more. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Those who attended court could still count on enjoying in the spoils that he enjoyed. Louis housed his court on the palace grounds, fed them, and entertained them. They would essentially want for very little while they were there. They wasted all the food, all the drink, while people are starving. But Louis was as paranoid as he was generous. Moving the court to Versailles had not just been a statement of his grandeur. When he was a child, his mother fended off several insurrection attempts in Paris during the civil war known as the Fronde. Fronde? Fronde. The it's Fronde. French. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was initiated by other members of nobility in reaction to the increased power exhibited by the monarchy. So sorry. <laughs> Excuse you. <laughs> Louis and his mother would end up under house arrest several times during his youth. Oh, so that's why he moved to Versailles. Versailles is 12 miles outside of Paris. Oh, okay. In the end, Louis emerges victorious after the Civil War, but it forever colored his perception of the higher aristocracy of France. He did not trust many people and grew to hate Paris. So moving the court to Versailles was as much for security as it was for peacocking. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> Another thing about this time. 
We have an interesting blend of religion, mysticism, and science going on right now. Alchemy is very much considered a real profession of this time. Hell yeah, it should be. Having originated in Egypt, alchemy was generally concerned with the transmutation of materials into a completely new thing. Most people were focused on turning various materials into gold, but alchemists also exper experimented with different herbs relating to the healing arts, aphrodisiacs, and of course, poison. Yeah. Alchemy is, is like pretty fucking cool. Like, it I is. I would just like to say. This is also when you hear tale of a sorcerer's stone, which is when alchemists Whoa, yeah. Yeah, were trying to find the elixir of life. And this is also when the term as above, so below is yes, coined. my favorite. Now, as above, so below was the belief that all things in the material world are a portrait of the spiritual world. Anything that happens in the spirit world is thus reflected in the material world. It was not uncommon to find French nobles dabbling in the occultist arts, and several sought out fortune tellers and astrologers for advice on what their life's purpose may be, and in some cases, how to gain favor with the king. I love how they sort them out to, you know, benefit them, but the second it doesn't benefit them, you're a witch, let's burn you. What? Well, <laughs> we'll get it. It's fine. But did you guys see that meme where it was, it was on Facebook, but it was a picture of, like, the Salem witch trials, and then it was, um, like, women, I think, and then men, witch. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> We'd all be witches. Anyway. We'd all be like, fuck off. I think, me. <laughs> I think any modern woman would be considered oh, a witch yeah, at this for point. Sure. For sure. Now, in the late 1660s, a French army captain mysteriously turned up dead. And when authorities searched his possessions, they found a letter written to his lover and a number of mysterious alchemical liquids in the container. His lover had been a French noblewoman named Madame de Brinvies. And during the investigation, it was uncovered that she had been conspiring with him to poison her father and two brothers in order to inherit her father's estates. Wait, she conspired with a guy who had turned up dead to kill other people? I think so. Yes. This is beautiful. I'm here for it. Continue. <laughs> I think, so I think my notes are actually a little off. I think this was a different lover, but she did conspire with her like soldier. Oh, friend. okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And that was the woman I mentioned. Girl, you can't kill everyone in your life. It gets suspicious after yeah. a minute. <laughs> she had likely been abused by the same family members. <sighs> Good honor. <laughs> this would mark the official start of a major scandal, again, known as the Affair of the Poisons. I'm here um, for it. <laughs> by the end of the investigation, several prominent members of the French aristocracy were all implicated in the scandal, including members of the inner circle of the king. And most damning of all was Louis XIV's chief mistress, Madame de Montespan. Oh, shit. <laughs> the central figure and reviled villain of this affair was a woman by the name of Catherine Monvoisin, so a.k.a. La Voisin. La Voisin. La Voisin. La Voisin. But it sounds like poison. Okay. I don't know if you're going to like her. Voisin? What is it's, that? It's her, is it French? It's her surname, Monvoisin. Oh, here for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna like her, but we'll I find love out. that her surname sounds like poison. It does. <laughs> I thought it was like a like like a made up what they called her, but yeah. no, it was it was it was who she married. All right, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. so Lavoisin was born Catherine de Chaise sometime in the year 1640. We know next to nothing about her parents and her upbringing, other than the fact that she was likely very poor. I've seen some sources throw the term street urchin around. It's likely she was either orphaned or her family was simply very poor because she had already gained some notoriety as a fortune teller on the streets of Paris 
by the age of nine. She and I would be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would be when she was younger. <laughs> At the age of 20, Catherine Deshaies married Antoine Monboisin, who had been a jeweler and a silk merchant in the city of Paris. But he was a very, apparently very bad at his job because it wasn't long before his incompetency ended up bankrupting his businesses. Oh, good. <laughs> Catherine would have none of this. She had grown up in poverty and she refused to ever return to it. <laughs> She's like, I've been there. I've done that. It wasn't great. I didn't write. I didn't want a postcard. So we're good. <laughs> Fortunately, Catherine was resourceful. She already had a knack for chiromancy, which is palm reading. Yes. It's the official name for it as well as fortune telling. And so she decided to turn it into a trade and it was the perfect time for it. Just as in Italy, women in France had very few options for mobility in French society and were often left to the mercies of their fathers and husbands. Catherine started small, reading the palms and faces of bored housewives that came to visit her. Oh, I thought you were gonna say something. Oh no, I wanna say something. Are you telling me, Rachel, that there are similarities between here and um mm -hmm. before? Oh, and yeah. it is don't repress women and we won't fucking kill you? Is I that mean, what you're telling me? <laughs> uh, for legal reasons, she's being sarcastic. Yeah, no, but I'm yes. not. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kat. This is why I'm single, because I don't want to commit murder. I'm, I don't have time for it. <laughs> the universe tests me enough as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Now, although she'll go on to gain the reputation of being a dark sorceress, little magic is required for the reading of palms and faces of the women who visited her. A lot of them were simply unhappy in their marriages and looking for advice on how to make their lives easier. And in some Boy, extreme you know. cases, <laughs> escape them altogether. Yes. <laughs> Babe, just, just put this in his drink or his soup and it'll be fine. Now, Catherine Monboisen was anything if not innovative and clever. She would later claim that the art of fortune telling had as much to do with psychology and physiology as it did with so-called divination. She would basically study her clients' faces to detect any small twitch or movement in response to her questions to discern if what she said resonated with them. She had many a remedy to offer her clients as well. Those looking to recapture some magic back into their love lives were given aphrodisiacs to help stimulate sexual desires. Here's the Viagra. I'm just kidding. It's not there yet, guys. Here's some chocolate. <laughs> she was also a skilled herbalist that provided various remedies for clients experiencing various aches and pains. In time, Catherine began to offer her services as a midwife around Paris and would work with women to help them deliver their babies. You might be wondering what the church might have thought of Catherine Monboisen by this point. So at this time, Catherine had become the breadwinner for her husband and their brood of six children. Oh my God. And she also cared for her mother. Ouch. She was an entrepreneur in a city of cutthroats, clever in her business ventures and a practitioner of the alchemical arts. Anyone with an aptitude for the healing arts would no doubt have some knowledge of how to turn them on their head and deal in death. The church was understandably weary, but Catherine was incredibly cunning. She told the local church officials that all of her divination gifts came from God and that she used them to help people in need. Smart. <laughs> Sometime in either 1665 or 1666, the congregation of the mission at the St. Vincent de Paul's order asked Lavoisin to perform her divination practices in front of professors at Sorbonne University to prove that she was not just a glorified con woman. 
And the performance apparently convinced the judges because she was allowed to continue her practice of, for- of fortune telling after that. It tells you how great the judges were. <laughs> well, the judges were men. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, again, it's not like she's just looking to the stars. She's reading yeah. people's faces. She's being smart. I love how. Is that going to show lie to me? It's, yeah. Yes. They're looking at the. No, it's your body language. It's your, it's your facial reactions. It's you're looking left. You're. Is it like you're looking left, you're lying, you're looking right, you're telling the truth or something like that? It's not even that. It's like the they they talk about in lie to me, they talk mm-hmm. about the lines in your face, like because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. you're you're trying to hide like scorn or when you're lying. Well, there's a there's know. a thing too where it's like I think your left brain is math and your right brain is art, basically. That's the dumbest way I could say it. Um, but if you look <laughs> a certain way, you're trying to come up with a story so you're not relying on facts but if you look the other way it's you're relying on facts you're relying on things that actually happen so you can tell that someone's making up a story based on which direction they're looking but i love how women being smart is like this like oh my god it's so rare and i'm like bitches it's not rare it's just not every woman is brave enough to show it because if we show it the patriarchy is like oh my god I'm, my dick just shrank <laughs> she's a witch she's a witch <laughs> yeah, so basically from what I read, she actually studied physiology. So yes, yeah, she was very that's perfect. in tune with that. I like her. So far, I like her. In time, Catherine noticed a certain trend among her clients. An ever the enterprising woman, Catherine was all too happy to oblige some of the strange and outlandish, outlandish requests she received. Catherine's services as a midwife eventually led led to some requests from women requesting the opposite from her. And in time, her services started to include abortions. Well, now, abortions were illegal at the time, so she had to be very careful when she performed them. And it's likely that Catherine started with poor women that could not afford to add extra mouths to the household in a time when contraceptives were not readily available. As her reputation grew over time, she started to attract wealthier clients and members of the aristocracy. Similar to Julia... Catherine's reputation within the aristocracy began to spread the word by mouth, and it's these clients that would go on to line her pockets with wealth. The requests for abortions became so frequent that Catherine ends up setting up her own network of abortion providers within the city. One of her associates was Catherine LaPere, who had been the midwife for La Boisin and delivered her own children. Many of the clients LaPere assisted with were married noblewomen looking to escape scandal. Um... Or they were unmarried noble women, also looking also to escape looking scandal. To escape. Well, you have to think in this time period, it almost like sex is more frequent within the court, yeah, the French court, and sometimes it's a literal like oh challenge to go find that virgin noble woman. Jesus, yeah, that's disgusting on so many levels. Yeah, I mean, have <laughs> fun, but don't make it like a weird challenge to take someone's virginity. That's just gross. Lavoisin would refer these women to Le Pair and then collect a sort of finder's fee for having provided the referral. In addition to providing abortions for clients looking to either escape poverty, abuse, or scandal, Lavoisin also noticed her female clients had requests all relating to the men in their lives. And this is where her reputation for delving into the darker magics starts to develop. Some of these women were looking to ensnare the men in their lives, either to become their lovers or to become their husbands. And so, to these women, love poison would provide love potions and aphrodisiacs. Rachel, are you telling me womanly wiles does not work all the time? No. It's not, not magic. Sometimes you need uh <laughs> so Oh no. <laughs> her love potions were said to contain some of the following. 
Um, she would grind up the bones of toads Ew. with Spanish flies and combine them with human blood, iron shavings, the teeth of moles, and the dust of human remains. Oh, sorry. When you drink that, do you not like look at your significant other slash person who's clearly flashing their womanly wiles at you and go like, why the fuck <laughs> does this taste like blood? Like, why? <laughs> well, think about what kind of blood that would be. Irony? <laughs> Not irony, but like irony. Like, like, it would be like period blood. When you get the like overly stereotypical, like, oh, that's a witch and she's using menstrual kind of blood to ensnare men. Yeah. Irony. Kind of comes from this time period. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's fun. In addition to these love potions, Lavoisin began to invest more and more in the procurement of supposed magical objects that could be used in her clients' personal ritualistic practices. But not all of Lavoisin's clients wanted love potions. Some of them wanted the opposite. Death potions. (laughs) (laughs) Also known as poison. (laughs) Death potions. In order to provide for the women looking to rid themselves of incompetent or abusive husbands, or in some cases, women looking to get rid of family members that stood in the way of their inheritances, (laughs) Love Poison began to develop poisons. This is essentially you go with where the market is going, okay? That is what she did. She's very opportunistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a good entrepreneur. She looks at the market and goes, I want to poisons, I want to (laughs) poisons. This is essentially what she becomes known for, and this is the primary operation that will end up damning her, because as it turns out, there are a lot of people in Paris and France that wanted to rid themselves of a husband or a rival. Maybe you guys can do your own fucking legwork. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Now, similar to the network of fortune tellers and abortion clinics that Lavoisin set up around Paris, she soon had her own network of poison providers around town as well. Now, most people credit Giulio Tofana as having started this enterprise. A couple of decades after her death is when you start to see the darker alchemical concoctions spreading into France. And Lavoisin ends up picking up where Julia left off, and her concoctions were said to incorporate arsenic as well. Hell yeah. And just like the poisons Julia Tofana had developed, the poisons Lavoisin created were often slow acting and took on the effect of a strange, inexplicable illness within the victims. Oh no! With them babe. supposedly dying of You're natural sick. causes. Oh no! I know. I know. Before the affair of the poison scandal became known to the public, strange deaths from inexplicable illnesses had been a frequent thing. But people generally thought little of it because plagues and illnesses were still a common enough thing in a world where science and medicine were still in the earliest stages of development. That's fair. <laughs> Older, wealthy men sometimes just died because of bad luck. And their wives were totally unsure of what happened. Yeah, their, their young, newly emancipated wives grieved appropriately while inheriting large sums of money. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> I'm just going to damn my leaking eyeballs. I don't know why they became Southern Bells, but here we are. And people thought little of it because it was just a thing that happened, especially when older men married younger girls. Now that all changes after the affair of the poisons. Suddenly these deaths of seemingly natural causes become more suspicious. And that suspicion was eventually taken up by King Louis XIV himself. And in time, he'll assign his chief of police... Nicholas de Lorraine to investigate the murders and uncover the conspiracy of poisonings. So is it known that they're suspicious or is it like kept secret they're suspicious? So basically, um, de Brigny, when 
it's revealed that she had poisoned her family. Um, she was a noble woman. And Louis heard this and he was like, if she could do it, she, she other people could do it too. So, gotcha. little random fact about Lorraine. He is generally considered the founder of the first modern police force. Huh. And he is also responsible for having a system of street lighting installed in Paris to help deter criminal activity within the city at night. I and, mean. <laughs> and this is where the moniker of the City of Light comes from. Oh. Okay. It's from him. I yeah, that was for LA, but clearly I'm not in on the uh, City of Angels is on. You're yeah. not wrong. Don't you remember <laughs> Anastasia when she goes to like the City of Light? One more time, but with that move. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the affair of the poisons. Ah, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> When Madame de Brinvier was discovered to have conspired to poison her father and brothers to inherit her father's estate, she was put on trial, convicted of murder, and then executed. Huh. Part of the investigation involved torture, and while enduring the torture, de Brinvier implicates the fortune teller Magdalene de Lagrange. And you not just chill. I understand you're being tortured, but come on! I did you a favor! From here on out... This is why people should do their own legwork. An investigation is officially ordered to uncover a wider spread conspiracy, and each new person that is implicated inevitably points the figure at another conspirator in an effort to gain some clemency and escape trial and conviction. Following the trial of Magdalene de Lagrange, I really like that name. That's a fun name. <laughs> um, who was also convicted of murder and forgery. Word spreads to the people of Paris of a conspiracy brewing in the city involving murder and witchcraft. They're like, where can I, where can I really get this? No, they break out into a riot. Damn it! <laughs> Which leads to a witch hunt to uncover dark sorceresses hidden in the city that were supposedly kidnapping children for black masses. Oh, come the fuck on, you dumb bitches. It's fine. Well. <laughs> oh, no. Don't well so, me like that. <laughs> couple things you need to keep in mind. Shit. <laughs> Priests within the city were revealing that more and more people were admitting to poisoning within their confessions. You can't tell people that! You don't have, like, a have-to-report thing. It's supposed to be private, you bitches. And if this all seems slightly insane to you, something else you might want to think about was the fact that less than 50 years ago, another prominent noblewoman in Hungary had undergone a trial for allegedly kidnapping women and bathing in their blood was to help maintain her youth. Yes, the story of Elizabeth Bathory is now circulating around so Europe. Everyone's panicking. Yes. <laughs> Maybe, just change your ways. Well, Elizabeth Bathory, she wasn't she didn't even, yeah, doing this for anybody else. But herself. Yes. yes. So but then, you have the story of Julia, Julia Tofana. She's, yeah. That's like 20 years before this. I mean, kind of circulating, but also... I forget the patriarchy never learns. What? <laughs> it's the narcissism. It is. Oh, I love how I'm trying to be like, well, and you're like, no, fuck no, the No, 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 fuck the patriarchy. I'm not doing it today. <laughs> Before Magdalene de Lagrange was executed for her involvement in the conspiracy, she implicated a woman by the name of Marie Boss. It's like Boss or Boss. Marie, Boss. whatever. Marie, just Marie. <laughs> So Marie had been another fortune teller and fame poisoner within the city of Paris, and one of Lavoisin's many associates involved in her fortune telling and poisoning network. I love that it's a good network. It makes me happy. Just as conspirators before her implicated associates in an attempt to evade harsher punishments, Marie did the same thing. Loving it. <laughs> she ends up revealing to investigator Lorraine 
that there is an entire network of fortune tellers, midwives, Girl, you alchemists, give us the whole network, and poisoners that all worked in the city. There's a reason. Oh, I'm still mad. <laughs> and she names the leader of this black market cabal of sorcery as Catherine Monpoison. And not only that, but this organization had been operating for years and had worked with several high-ranking members of the nobility. Uh-oh. Now, the sources tell us that Marie and La Voisin were frenemies. Frenemies. Marie was basically known for her poisons, and thus La Voisin often referred the bulk of her clients to Marie. Marie may have been the Dudler alchemist, but La Voisin was the face of the organization and the mastermind behind it as well. La Voisin comes with dangers. You should probably not be the face of anything. Well, here's her thing. So La Voisin accumulated her own wealth in the process, which meant she wasn't able to engage in the lavish lifestyle, the lavish lifestyle that her aristocratic clients enjoyed and helped fund for her. As her reputation grew, Lavoisin was able to host her own lavish parties for the upper crest of Parisian society, complete with violin music and expensive wine in her garden at night. So she got cocky. And if the stories are to be believed, Marie was jealous of Lavoisin and thus needed very little arm twisting to implicate her. They twisted her pinky and she's like, you know what? <laughs> I got you a name, don't worry. It's from Marie Boss that we get the most colorful and salacious tales involving La Voisin, which included the black masses we're about to get into. Yeah, we'll do a little warning really quick, because um, I'm going to go over what the black masses entailed. Um, oh, great. They're not great. So if anything related to infant mortality, if you are especially sensitive to that, I would skip ahead like five minutes. So thanks to Marie's confession, Catherine Monvoisin was arrested outside of a Catholic parish on March 5th, 1679. Unlike the other conspirators that had already been convicted, Lavoisin did not have to undergo torture during her investigation. We're told that the order had been issued to use torture on her, but was later rescinded, and people speculate after the fact that the investigators avoided torture because they were concerned her testimony might reveal the names of more influential people within the court. Yeah, protect your people. Don't worry about everyone else. (laughs) Here's the kind of funny thing. (laughs) La Voisin was a notorious alcoholic. So the investigators instead just plied her with a bunch of alcohol no. and found she was relatively compliant. compliant. Yeah. Weird how that happens. And she, she answered most of their questions so long as they kept her drunk. Can you imagine? She's like, I have it. What's her secret? <laughs> like Karen from my you favorite guys. <laughs> She uh She envisioned her Karen from my favorite murder. And you guys have a secret. <laughs> Now, the charges laid before Lavoisin included performing illegal abortions and poisoning various members of the French nobility. And thanks to Marie's confession, the charge of witchcraft was also added to her growing list of crimes. That just sounds so cool, the Church of Witchcraft. I'd join. (laughs) In addition to crafting love potions and aphrodisiacs, Lavoisin's most damning accusation was that she performed black masses with the aid of priests in the city. Now, the Black Masses were allegedly performed in the catacombs beneath her house. And uh, were... I'm sorry, one more time she had catacombs beneath her house? I couldn't find you any couldn't information confirm. on her house. That sounds but great, I was though. like, I mean, if you think about Paris, there are a bunch of catacombs all over. Yeah. I'm going to do catacombs beneath this house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Godspeed. Godspeed. <laughs> um, so basically, 
she would have these in her catacombs. And the thing about the Black Mass is that it's an inversion of the traditional ritual performed during Catholic Mass. So in this ritual, Lovelace was accused of performing um, basically a ritual involving the use of a naked woman as an altar while holding a black candle in each hand. A chalice or ritual bowl was said to be placed on her stomach, and then the blood of a newborn baby was poured into the chalice while the woman prayed to Satan. All right. Allegedly. Aggressively made up, but sure. (laughs) They also suggested some of the abortions ended up in the black mess. Um, It's never been verified. Yeah. (laughs) This could just be the church being like, "Mm, evil. I mean... Black masses were likely performed as to what they entailed. No one knows. No one knows, and I'll get into why that is as well. The grimmest speculation related to these black masses like to point to the fact that Lavoisin had opened a home for unwed mothers. (laughs) Unwed mothers. (laughs) We'll keep that. Unwed mothers. 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 We're saying it's mothers. Unwed mothers. the year before she had been arrested and they suggested this was the proof that she had an unending supply of sacrifices. Oh, come the fuck on. She's doing something good and you, you turned it So dark. that's kind of the thing. I'm like... I mean, it's good it? in the eyes of us, but it's not good in the eyes of the church because, oh my God, well, unwed mothers. So a home would still be good, but of course they, they just, I would think, kind of perverted it. Yeah. Yeah. As the churches want to do. Women looking to procure abortions for whatever reason, or women who simply did not want their children, were said to have turned them over to Lovelace without asking any question as to what would happen to the children. Some people have also suggested that she did promise she would find those children new homes, but then she'd whisk them away to her catacombs for her nefarious purposes. I believe she gave those children great homes. (laughs) The chief purpose of the investigation was to uncover any possible conspiracies involving the king's attempted murder. In time, it was revealed that Lavoisin's most high-profile client was the king's official mistress, Madame de Montespan. Now, Madame de Montespan is incredibly interesting in her own right, and one day we will devote a Difficult Damsels episode to her. Hell yeah! (laughs) But for now, I'm just going to give you a brief general rundown. Madame de Montespan was officially known as Francois Athenis de Rochecourt, the Montemart. Whoa, she's got more names. <laughs> the Mar, the Marquess of Montespan. The Marquise. Marquise, whatever. Marquise. <laughs> I know that French word. <laughs> um, she had adopted the name of Athenus for herself in much the same way that King Louis the Fourteenth had the moniker of the Sun King. She claimed to be descended from Athena. As mentioned, she was the king's official mistress, and in France, this meant she held an official position within the court. As the king's mistress, she was afforded a number of titles, lands, and power. She even had her own quarters within the Palace of Versailles, and she had several children by Louis XIV. I believe it was seven children. Wow. The three children that would go on to survive childhood were officially legitimized by Louis and given the surname of de Bourbon. All right. Madame de Montespan had incredible power over the court and was often referred to as the true queen of France as she had managed to hold the title for a long time before her eventual fall from grace. Madame de Montespan was as clever as she was ambitious and that and managed to capture the king's attention for longer than any mistress who came before her. 
Congratulations. <laughs> but Louis was notoriously fickle, and Montespan feared that she was losing his favor. And so this is where her connection to La Voisin was said to come from. Now, as the story goes... It's about to get juicy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Madame de Montespan was introduced to La Voisin through her companion, Claude de Vigne de Elets. God bless you and your French. <laughs> <laughs> when Montespan initially set her sights on becoming the king's official mistress in 1667. This is the first time Montespan is said to have performed a black mass with La Voisin overseeing it, so that she might win the king's favor. And not long after, Madame de Montespan replaced Louis XIV's chief mistress and became his number one favorite. Yeah. Not mentioned in the conspiracy. Montes for womenly wiles, it's fine. <laughs> Montespan took great care to befriend both Louis and Queen Maria Theresa. When both the queen and his chief mistress of the time, Louise de la Valliere, <laughs> became pregnant, both of them became pregnant at the same time. Oh, oh. Montespan was asked to entertain the king during official dinners during their absence. And this is when their romantic relationship was said to bud. So when you say it like that, but yeah. everyone likes to say she performed the black mass. But if you actually looked at what was going on, you could see yeah. like it's, it, it not, makes sense. It's not a a far leap to be like, yeah. oh, she just happened to be there. She was clever. Yeah. She was charming. Of course, Rachel, would women like her. are not clever until they are, and then it's until black magic, a black magic. It's not mass. cleverness. It's Satan. But that story is not near as scandalous, and so we'll continue with our dark tale. Following the success of the first Black Mass, Montespan was said to have employed La Voisin any time she and the king had a fight, or she feared she was falling out of favor with him. In 1673, Montespan noticed the king's interest in her was fading, and so she reached out to La Voisin again to perform more Black Masses and prayed to the devil that his love be restored to her again. Um, it's during this time that the priest Etienne Euberg was said to have officiate, officiated the numerous ceremonies. Interesting. And we're also told that La Voisin gave Montespan a specific aphrodisiac to use with Louis. Chocolate? I think that one's been verified. Oh, okay. She could just give him chocolate because she's like, you're hangry, I need you to eat this. <laughs> it works, <laughs> on, works on me, just saying. Yeah, it does, guys. If we're just hangry, just give him chocolate. <laughs> By 1677, it became clear that Louis was getting, was going to replace her with another woman. And so Montespan allegedly told the king that if he abandoned her, she would have him killed. Whoa. <laughs> by 1679, Montespan had officially been replaced by the Duchess of Fontaines and was said to approach La Voisin and ask that she have both the Duchess and the king killed. Wow, that's aggressive. You were literally a mistress. That is literally the whole point of being a mistress you're going to be replaced not always i mean most of the time i mean the Nine whole idea is you the king develops enough affection for you that even if he finds a new little plaything, he has enough affection to keep you around still are you aware of how much wrong that sentence is <laughs> i'm very aware but <laughs> these women work clearly well are they what other options do they have i know but still <laughs> drop the judgment uh, it's here. It's stay. <laughs> so according to the plan that was uncovered by several conspirators, all while under torture, Lavoisin conspired with three associates to poison the king by applying a concoction to a petition that would have been delivered into his hands. 
One of the conspirators refused to participate in regicide and tried to convince Lavoisin to abandon the plan, but she refused. On March 5, 1679, Lavoisin does end up visiting the royal court to deliver the petition, but due to the fact that there were already too many petitioners before her, no. the king did not end up receiving her. <laughs> She's yeah. like, what the actual fuck? I've, oh my god. <laughs> so when Lavoisin returned home, she had her daughter burn the petition while she schemed to come up with a new plan to kill the king. During the investigation, she confessed to having created her massive network of fortune tellers, midwives, and poisoners in Paris. She admitted that she had created various aphrodisiacs for her clients and confessed that all clients seeking poisons were referred to Marie Boss. In time, she implicated a couple more conspirators and confessed to selling poisons to a couple of nobles herself. Lavoisin never implicated Madame de Montespan by name, nor did she ever make any mention of black masses herself. When further yeah, pressed, not real. when further pressed, she did admit to guards that the one question she feared the most was if they were to ask her about her royal visits to the court. Whoa. This was as close of a confession to attempted regicide that the investigators would ever get from Lavoisin. Interesting. On February 17th, 1680, Lavoisin was put on trial and then convicted of witchcraft and murder. The court gave her the harshest punishment available at the time, which was execution by burning. Mm -hmm. On February 22nd, 1680, she was led to the public square in the Place de Greve in Paris, where a pyre was waiting for her. Several conflicting tales come down to us from history as she took her last walk amongst the crowd. Some people said she pleaded her innocence and begged for mercy. Others claim she physically pushed a priest away from her. <laughs> Me and you both, huh? <laughs> when she was tied to the stake, several people reported she desperately tried to push the piles of hay that had been stacked around her. That's and of course, <laughs> yeah, there are those who swear up and down that Lavoisin placed a curse on the families of each man responsible for her verdict while she burned. Hell yes, I like that story. <laughs> Catherine Monvoisin was approximately 40 years old when she died. Wow. Now, the revelation that Lavoisin and Montespan knew each other did not come up until after Lavoisin's death. In the end, it was Lavoisin's daughter, Marguerite Monvoisin, that testified to her mother's list of clients and revealed the use of human sacrifice during the Black Masses. But this information was allegedly obtained after Marguerite was tortured and enough portions of her story were corroborated by other conspirators to lend it credence. In the end, Marguerite had named so many high-ranking people of the king's court that Louis had the official investigation closed. <laughs> Marguerite and wow. the other female poisoners were imprisoned together, and female guards were charged with watching over them for fear that the female poisoners would try to seduce the male guards in order to escape. You can seduce women, too. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the poison affair, 442 suspects were implicated during the investigation and 218 arrests were made. Wow. Over 50 people were imprisoned and 36 people were executed. It's literally France's like own Salem witch trials. <laughs> um, the Salem witch trials happened 10 years later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, fates of the people who were affected by the affair of the poisons. Madame de Brinviers, the noblewoman that had conspired with her boyfriend to murder her husband and brothers, is convicted of murder after being tortured and confesses. 
She is then tortured with the water cure, which meant she was forced to drink 16 pints of water and drowned. Oh my God. Then she was beheaded. And afterwards, she was burned at the stake. That's excessive. Catherine LaPere, the French midwife that worked in Lovewaisen's abortion network, was also implicated during the affair, tortured, and executed via hanging. Wow. Marie Boss was arrested with her daughter and two of her sons, and according to the official report, it was discovered their house had only one bed. And in addition to witchcraft and murder, Marie was also accused of incest. She was later. Isn't that a common thing, though? Um, at the time, yeah. But yeah. according to the report, they were found in bed together. I don't know if that meant in bed together or just sleeping next to each other. Yeah. She was later condemned to death and burned at the stake, and her children and associates were executed as well. What the hell? Etienne Goyberg, I think. I hope. <laughs> um, he was the preset assisted in the black masses he confessed to the black masses while under interrogation he was sentenced to life imprisonment and died while in prison he was later rejected by the church officially defrocked which means he had his functions of an ordained minister revoked and at least one official case of a black mass was uncovered by the church etienne also had extensive knowledge of chemistry and was implicated in assisting with the poisonings as well Chemistry is sorcery, according to the church. (laughs) Madame de Montespan survived the affair of the poisons, though her name was forever tainted and her relationship with Louis soured over time. So basically, although people had named her, there was no actual evidence linking her to anything. There was no actual evidence to any of this. (laughs) Louis eventually replaced her with the Duchess of Fontaine as his official mistress, but she would end up dying in 1981 during childbirth. People at court whispered viciously that Montespan had poisoned her in order to regain her place beside the king. By 1691, she completely fell out of favor with the king and retired to a convent. She was granted a pension of half a million francs and donated the large sums of that pension to various hospitals and charities. When she died in 1707, Louis forbade their children to wear mourning colors for her. What? After Louis officially closed the investigation into the affair of the poisons, He had the results declared classified so that no one would find out what happened. Some speculate that he did this for fear that if the peasant class of France learned that his court had become overrun with murderers and practitioners of witchcraft, they would revolt. Honey, they already know. (laughs) Or perhaps he was brokenhearted and embarrassed and reluctant to have his shame publicized in the salons of Versailles. Probably that second one, yeah. After Nicholas de Lorraine died, his official findings from the poison affair were delivered to King Louis to do with as he pleased. According to the legend, Louis tossed them into a fire and likely had no desire for the spectators of history, such as us, to discover his greatest failure, heartbreak, and embarrassment. As it turns out, Lorraine kept detailed private notes that were discovered years after the fact, and that's how we get the story of the affair of the poisons, which as it stands to this day, is one of the largest modern-day witch trials to have ever occurred. Deal. If you would like to learn more about the affair of the poisons, because again, I only told La Voisin's story, and it's uh, it's very in-depth, I highly recommend the Strange and Unusual podcast, um, because they do a very detailed three-part series on it. And if you'd like to see a dramatized retelling of the affair of the poisons, 
check out the show Versailles on Netflix. Season two specifically deals with the fall of Madame de Montespan, and the character of Madame Agatha was inspired by by Love Poison. Is that the show where the guy who plays Athelstan yes. plays mm-hmm. Louis? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I only know about like because you watch watched it on my Netflix. <laughs> um, yeah, and his brother is played by the same actor who is Mordred in Merlin. What? And he's amazing. They're both. Oh amazing. shit! You're right. Yeah. I told you that. Yeah. I was like, hey, it's. Well, it's like I know because I love him. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. So sources for today, for Julio Tofana, I used Wikipedia. And, the Wikipedia. <laughs> and all that's interesting.com. For La Voisin, I used Wikipedia, and then Sci-Fi.com had an article called La Voisin, France Murderous Fortune Teller. Interesting. All right. And there you go. All right, so we are on to a random question time. Yeah. Because it's Halloween, yes. we decided to go with a spooky question. Spooky question. Um, so, do you believe in ghosts, or spirits, or demons? Yes. 100%. Would <laughs> you like to elaborate? Like, what, what is it to you? Is it the typical, like, apparition or? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's the apparitions. People hanging behind because of unfinished business. But I also think it's, we're made of energy. Yeah. And our energy doesn't just cease to exist because we do. It has to go somewhere. Right. So it's not necessarily like an apparition. We hang out as a ghost form, but it could just be like our energy. Well, then are those ghosts stuck in like limbo or do they have unfinished business? I think I, I like the unfinished business storyline. I mean, storyline, storyline. <laughs> well, no, I've had, I've had a lot of you experiences had, had, and oh I had, yeah. my apartment was a fucking. Your room was very creepy. <laughs> yeah. But so, I, I don't know if it's because you told me the story that made it. It creepy. was probably because I told you the story. But so the story is, is that when I had just moved in, I think it was like a month after I had moved in, um, I had my bed in between a mirror and a window. Yes, everyone is screaming at me right now. I know that that energy (laughs) is bad and the energy was just bouncing off the mirror and the window over my head. Um, But I woke up in the middle of the night and it was one of those like half awake, half asleep things. And I looked to my doorway and there was just a figure that looked at the time I was like, there's an orc in my room, but it looked like a burned, it looked like a burned figure. Like I figured out after the fact, like, okay, it was someone who like had been really badly burned and like kind of like had a half a second of just like, um, and then it came at me. So me and my recovering Catholicism, I have, I had a, um, a crucifix right next to my bed. So I like threw my hand on the crucifix and like turned the light on and obviously nothing was there, but it was just like, very scary that's so funny i've had a few moments of it's sleep paralysis and i see something coming at me um every single time i've punched or kicked at it yeah like and i would never think i was the type of person that would resort to a fight reflex but that's what's happened every single time yeah so do not come at me don't come at her ghost she will get punched in the face (laughs) every other every other instance she'll hide behind me yeah i also took a knife by my bed yeah yeah. i do too yeah (laughs) But then I've also had like experiences that weren't necessarily bad or malevolent or scary, but, oh, sorry. Well, I mean, I've had like figures standing over my bed and I kind of look over and I'm like, like if they weren't full figures, they were like mirage type, like, you know, they shimmer in and out, but like, I'm like, like, as long as you stay over there and don't fuck with me, we're fine. But, (laughs) but it's not even necessarily like just bad, but it's, it's, 
it's like when you're driving and you narrowly miss an accident and you're just like, oh, gosh, oh, yeah. someone. Oh, I have a team of fucking guardians. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's like, yeah, we got the, the spirits with like the unfinished business. You know, my answer is obviously. Izzy oh, has a story. Just too Izzy, you're about to join the fucking afterlife. Can you not be up there? She's on the loft on the other side of the railing giving mom a heart attack. Yeah, so. I, I think, I definitely think there's, there's people left here with unfinished business, especially with how random sometimes the, the death is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it, it definitely seems like people get taken too soon. Yeah. And that's like, I understand God has a plan. But somebody has a plan. Yeah, somebody has a plan. <laughs> somebody has a plan. It's, it's <sighs> definitely like people live here without a finished business and stay, but I also think there's some people that do watch out for you and kind of yeah. like help you avoid certain From the beyond. And, yeah. yeah. Your guides. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Your spirit guides. 100%. I tend to fall in the category of similar to what you said about the energy. I don't. I've never had an experience like with a ghost that I can for sure say this was a ghost. Yeah. But I do believe energy imprints on places, which Mm -hmm. is why like if you go to an area where um, one of the civil war fights happen, you get that like heavy feeling. We did that in Virginia. We went there and I was just, I was on edge the whole time and just like, I like this, but can we go? (laughs) I don't want to be here after dark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then I will say, so like, in, in theory, I really don't believe if you, like, get a Ouija board out, like, anything's yeah. going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I won't touch one. So, exactly. yeah. I'm right there. Yeah. yeah. There's, like, that that you've heard enough stories about it where you're just, like, I've heard plenty <laughs> of stories where nothing happened, too. Yeah. And I think a lot of it really is belief and intent. So. Yeah, it's intention. If you, if you don't have negative intentions, I don't really think you have anything to worry about. But no. I still would rather not. Yeah. Yeah, like there. I love the look of Ouija boards, but I will never have anything Ouija board esque in my yeah. house because my cats are gonna call fucking demons. Like, <laughs> the cats are. The yeah, now. I already have five demons in this house. I don't need more. <laughs> well, I guess we were talking about my one little sleep yeah. paralysis moment, aside from kicking at the <laughs> stuff. Um, so I was in Sedona and I picked up a beautiful statue of Persephone. And then we did our goddesses episode and I just felt really connected to Persephone. And one night I'm going to chalk this up to my mind, but it really truly, I I woke up in the middle of the night. um, I'm sleeping in the living room. It was the weekend. And I felt like Hades was in the room with me. And I am very much a, like, I don't want to deal with spirits. And I said, we are not doing this. You are not welcome. (laughs) Not today, Hades. Do not pull me through the crust of the earth. I am not okay with it. I shan't be your new Persephone. (laughs) Get the fuck out. I already have someone. And she will come down here and take your eye. (laughs) Pretty much. So, yeah, yeah, that that was one night. It was a very interesting sleep paralysis night. Because in that one, I did not want to punch anything. I was very much just closed. Yeah. Just like shut no. down and you're like, no. <laughs> I think the fuck no, you trick it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. No, I've definitely like yeah. um my mom and I, our mom Kelly, always joke that like joke in a very serious way that we're like very sensitive to that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm sure. And we talk about that yeah. stuff all the time and like she when they were when you guys were in Sedona and you went to those vortexes, Kelly, oh, and I hadn't oh, gotten there yet. Right. And mom texts me, she's like, I wish you were there because everyone made fun of me. And I, she's Did like, you, you wouldn't have made fun of me. Who was she making fun of? I was making fun of her. Probably I not. was right there with her. Like, I was like, I don't mind it. Yeah. And then, um, 
unfortunately we didn't because I think we had to walk a little further because like they, yeah. there's very specific places yeah. that they are. Well, if you think about just, I mean, in Sedona, it's all like incredibly old rock structures. Mm-hmm. So who's to say that there isn't energy just from the earth too? I'm so, I'm so very like drawn to that. So very interested in that kind of stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm very much like not scared, scared of it, but like, fearful out of respect like mm-hmm. those are things that you really have to like have a healthy respect for and like well, no there's energy around waterfalls there's energy yeah there's around. energy I, and i think yeah. the way i think of it is that energy is is people who have died and your energy just doesn't cease to exist and the earth just has its own well earth, the earth also has energy yeah <laughs> i like how yeah. you're like it's people and i'm like it's just the earth i mean <laughs> it's a mix well of that's why they say um if you have these experiences and i know one of our friends mentioned this just put earthy things um, in your home, in yeah. your bedroom. So yeah. like crystals, crystals, <laughs> rock lamps are really good. They're supposed to help with anxiety. Cover your portals to hell <laughs> or other very realms. Important. They're very just, important. they're very grounding. They yeah. ground you in the here and the now. Well, that, I mean, our friend Dana, she, she yeah, considers yeah. herself a medium and I, I love it. I think it's interesting. And I brought her in. And I said, I didn't tell her any of the stories. I said, go in my room. And tell me what you feel. And she went in. She goes, "No, nah, this is not okay. You need to cover one of these." So I ended up covering the mirror with a curtain, yeah. and it helped. I mean, I didn't. Well, have yeah, any, because like, crazy even shit. even if say nothing was there, you still have whatever's happening outside of your window reflecting in your mirror, yeah. which is going to be a distortion anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I I don't know. I I really can't say for sure because you did tell me the story, but I never liked going in your room when you weren't there. Yeah, like when I would go um check in on the cats if it was after dark i would be like bye Gemma." yeah <laughs> yeah poor Gemma. but your cats were fine too so yeah that's the other thing well think of. but that's the thing that started it all was when i moved in i just had jasmine and jasmine would sit at the bedroom door and just stare into the bedroom and i was like you motherfucker don't tell me there's something in there and so i was like okay this is weird but whatever it's jasmine she's being weird but then i got Gemma, and she did the same fucking thing so I was like, okay. <laughs> and then all that stuff really started happening. So it could have been like my mind oh, know, for playing sure. on that because I've got a crazy imagination. Oh, so I it too. could have been my head being like, oh, look, here it is. But yeah, it was, it was creepy. And, but then I found out that there were root rats. So I'm like, yeah, that's probably what the girls were looking at. Probably. Gonna, probably. Yeah. I know my say. cats do that with the uh, yeah. birds that nest in the roof. Yeah. I was like. <laughs> You can't get to them. They're in the ceiling. And you're not getting let out. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to our late Halloween episode. You have been listening to Difficult Damsels, if you would like. Oh, Kelly has a fucking dad joke. Sorry, dad joke. Kelly has a dad joke, guys. (laughs) This is her contribution. (laughs) Okay, y'all, you ready? Yes. Why don't ghosts have children? I can't. I already know the answer, so I can't answer. I don't know. Because they have Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your ridiculous dad joke for the night, guys. <laughs> we hope you enjoy your Samhain or your Halloween or whatever you're celebrating. Stay safe. and Please rate, review, oh, yeah. and subscribe <laughs> on whatever podcasting service you listen to. Yes, please. You can reach us at difficult.danzels at gmail.com. I was like, I'm not going to have to come into here. <laughs> uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram and we are really, we have been on Facebook and Instagram these past few weeks. You have a good job. Yay! Just type in difficult damsels and you'll have to scroll down because Facebook is great. <laughs> yeah. And um, as always, stay difficult. Stay difficult. Yeah!
Rachel is doing the pause dance. What is happening? <laughs> I'm not sure what that was. That was definitely Rude. a car. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, we are recording a podcast. Can you calm the fuck down, please? Thanks. That's great. When, you, when I have to say the poisons from La Voisin. The poisons <laughs> from La Voisin. It's great. <laughs> Sorry. I got My lost. chair is making a lot of noises and I apologize profusely. Okay. Sorry. I, I was lost. It's okay because my chair was squeaking the whole time. Okay. Ready? Yep. Now, La Voisin's accumulation of wealth. Oh my God. Yeah. Kelly! <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, Miss. I've been interrupting this whole time. You That's have. my job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> 